Good morning, church. Great to see you. Hope you are having a fab weekend. If you don't know me, my name's Gareth, part of the team here. Been here for almost 10 years. Can you believe it? Almost 10 years and I'm still here. There we go. Well, if you've joined us and you've not yet um, kind of like visited us, um, we are in a Lent teaching series and we're reflecting and thinking over this Lent period as we head towards Easter, as we prepare ourselves for Easter. We're thinking and reflecting um, and we're thinking, what is it that God's showing us? What is it that God is teaching us? I wonder what um, God has been showing you over the last couple of weeks. What's God been speaking to you about as we head towards Easter? What's Jesus been showing you, teaching you about your relationship with him? This morning, we want to continue in that journey. And uh, we're going to turn to John chapter 12. If you've got a Bible, uh, please turn to it, switch it on. Um, There are some paper ones here at the front. Um, If you need one, do come and grab one, pick it up. And as we read this passage together um, in John chapter 12 of the anointing of Jesus at Bethany, I want to encourage you to think about the different characters that we find in the story I'm going to introduce you to a new character in the story that, isn't, that John doesn't um, name in the character in a minute. But I want you to think about the different characters in the story and ask yourself, in your personal journey with Jesus, if there was one character that you might identify with, which character would it, would it be? If there's one character in this story that you might identify with and where you are in your journey of faith, who... Would it be? So John chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was amongst those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. I wonder which character you identify with. Prior to um, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and we're going to look at that together next Sunday, we find Jesus eating and drinking with his friends, which was quite common. Um, If you do any reading of the New Testament in the Gospels, in the life and the ministry of Jesus, Jesus was regularly partying. He was regularly eating with people. He was regularly eating with his friends. He was regularly eating, in fact, with some of his enemies, some of the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. He was also... um, 
eating and drinking with tax collectors, those that some of the um, Jews particularly despised, partly because tax collectors were robbing them of their own money. Um, they were robbing the Romans of, uh, of money. They were increasing uh, extra taxes. And then there were, there were other sinners that, that, um, that we read about in the New Testament. But Jesus was happy to eat with anybody. Anyone was welcome at Jesus' table. And in this particular dinner that we find here in John, it's a feast of thanksgiving. It's a, it's, a, it's a party of celebration in which Mary and Martha are invited and also Lazarus, who we know was dead from uh, John uh, chapter 11. But we also know from the other accounts in Matthew's gospel and in Mark's gospel that this dinner took place at Simon the Pharisee's house. Jesus eating with one of the religious elite. Those whom at times Jesus would you know, rebuke them for, for their religiosity. He would sometimes challenge them about their beliefs because they were excluding people from the worship in the temple. Here he is eating with this Pharisee called Simon. But what we also discover from um, Matthew and Mark's account of the same story is that Simon is, is, is identified as Simon the leper. I wonder if you've ever thought, isn't that a bit strange? What's Jesus doing? In fact, what's anybody doing eating at the house of someone who's a leper? We know, don't we, um, if we've read a little bit of the New Testament, we, that, that lepers were often ostracized. They were cast out from their communities. They were banished from the, the Jewish worshiping community because they were considered unclean. They had this, this leprosy, this skin disease, and so um, they, would, they would often wrap themselves in rags as cloths to, to protect their skin, but also to hide their disfigurement. And they would be on the edges of the community, up on the hillsides, um, outside of any sort of um, community center. They were ostracized. And usually they had, if they were going anywhere near any, any community of people who didn't have leprosy, they would have to often carry a bell, ring the bell, so people knew that there was someone with leprosy that was nearby, and they would basically do a runner. Sometimes they would shout out, unclean, unclean. And that's how they were designated. Lepers were considered unclean. So what's Jesus doing in the house of Simon the leper? And the Bible doesn't tell us for sure. But it's highly likely that Simon had been healed by Jesus. He's identified as Simon the leper because that was his, his, how he was known. And John is making a proclamation of faith that here is Simon the Pharisee, someone that would have been considered uh, um, and perhaps an enemy of Jesus. He wouldn't have certainly welcomed Jesus, but here he is healed of this skin disease and here he is back in community. And what's one of the first things that Simon the leper in community is doing is he's hosting a party. He's celebrating perhaps his own healing. So we have Simon the leper as one of the characters here in this story. Simon is an incredible picture of God's goodness and God's grace. And then we have Martha. Martha is in her familiar place. She's serving. She never stops. Martha never seems to stop serving, even when it's not in her own house. 
We know the story, don't we, of Mary and Martha, and Martha um, complaining to Jesus because she's running around serving, and, and Mary's just sitting at Jesus' feet in Luke 10. And here, she's serving, but she's in someone else's house. She just can't stop. I mean, how many of us, I'm sure there are lots of us that do this, but how many of us, when we go around to dinner at someone else's house, we start cooking the meal, we start setting the table, we start serving. Usually, you don't do that. It's considered not the the done thing to do. But here is Martha, dutifully beavering away in the background. Previously, she became upset that Mary was just there sitting at Jesus' feet, and now she seems to be happy or certainly more content. So there's Simon the leper, there's Martha, and then there's Lazarus. I mean, what a guy. What a guy. Previous chapter, he was dead in the grave. And here he is sitting at the feet of Jesus, reclining back, eating and drinking, celebrating that he's no longer dead, but he's alive. I mean, imagine the joy. Imagine the laughter at this dinner party. It's just like, I was dead. I'm alive. I mean, it's crazy stuff, isn't it? By the power of God, through Jesus, Lazarus, come forth, once dead, and now Jesus has given Lazarus new life. Anyone been given new life by Jesus? Just three of us. (laughs) Given new life by Jesus. Imagine the celebration at this party. Jesus, thank you for giving me life. Thank you for giving me life eternal. I think it's important for us to remember too as we look at this story that it was a brave thing for Jesus' friends to host this party. We don't get any sense in which this party is kept secret from any of the gospel accounts of this story. But it's important for us to remember that you know, prior to this party taking place, the Sanhedrin, the, the Jewish religious council, they'd put word out that if anyone, anyone knew where Jesus was, that they were to report where he was. They wanted to know where he was. Why? Because as we discover, as we head towards Easter, they wanted to have him arrested. And failure to report where Jesus was would be basically to associate yourself with his crimes, whatever they were. Still, Jesus' friends hold this supper and it's held openly. Probably, including the characters there and the disciples that we know were there and probably um, perhaps even Simon's family. There's probably 20, 30 people there. Probably wasn't, it it may have been in a house that held held that number of people, but it's likely that people overflowed into the garden. And so this was unlikely to be a secret party. People knew that this gathering was taking place. But here's one of the things. Lazarus, from attending this party, from being dead to now being alive, Lazarus himself is now targeted by the religious leaders. Verse 10 and 11 of John 12, we read this. So the chief priests made a plan to kill Lazarus. I mean, it doesn't get, you know, Lazarus just doesn't get a break, does he? He was dead, he's now alive, and now people want to assassinate him. I really feel for Lazarus. And on account of Lazarus coming back to life, and on account of Lazarus's um, testimony, people were coming to faith in Jesus. 
On account of this man who was dead, who was now alive, who had new life in Jesus, on account of his testimony, people were coming to faith in Jesus. So we have Simon, we have Martha, we have Lazarus, and of course we have Jesus' disciples who were present there too. But what sticks out in this story, in fact, what sticks out in everyone's mind concerning this supper of those that were attending isn't the presence of the once dead Lazarus who's now alive. It's not Simon the leper who is now healed. It's not the dutiful service of Martha or the bravery of Jesus' friends in gathering for a party in the first place when in fact they could have been arrested. What the disciples remember of this dinner and what they particularly made sure that they recorded the accounts of in the New Testament, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is the actions of Mary. Mary, who took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, verse three. (laughs) What is Mary doing? Well, what this passage tells us is that somehow Mary knew that Jesus was going to die. Mary understood that Jesus was going to die. And she knew somehow that there may not be um, opportunity to do all the preparations that were needed. So she comes and she anoints him for this act of worship of Jesus when he goes to the cross. We know that Jesus on the cross was an act of worship to the Father, don't we? If you don't, you don't know that, then read Psalm 21. I think it's Psalm 21. Psalm 20, Psalm 22, thank you, Josie. Read Psalm 22 and then think about the cross. Psalm 22 is an incredible prophetic hymn of praise and it picks up, Jesus picks up on those very words in, as, as he is, hangs at the cross. He was about to give up his life on the cross and somehow Mary knew it. What's, per, what's perhaps even more startling, as far as we can tell from reading the rest of the New Testament, is Mary is the only one that appears to really know what's about to, go, what's about to, to happen. How do we know that? Because... A little bit earlier on, Jesus is walking with his disciples on the way to Jerusalem and he's trying to tell them that he's about to be killed, that he's going to be um, flogged, that he's going to be beaten and he's, going to, and, and he's going to die at the hands of the religious leaders and they just seem to kind of brush it off. Read these words from Mark 10. We're going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples and yet they didn't understand it. This is just days before he's about to be arrested. Mary got it. Mary understood And in anticipation and preparation, she broke her box of perfume over Jesus in order to show him that she understood. And the smell of the perfume filled the room. The fragrance of worship. How did Mary understand when the others didn't? How how is it that Mary seemed to get it, particularly when the disciples 
who Jesus had tried to tell on a number of occasions, actually, if you read Mark's account, tried to tell them two or three times, they didn't get it. But Mary did. How is it? Mary knew because she spent most of her time in the place where we now find her. Where do we find Mary? At the feet of Jesus. Where do we find Mary? At the feet of Jesus, anointing him, wiping his feet. Where is Mary always? At the feet of Jesus. Read the account of Luke 10 and Matthew and, Ma- Matthew and Martha. Mary dutifully du- um, preparing the meal. Where is, where is Mary? Sat at the feet of Jesus, listening, being with her Lord. In John chapter 11, when Lazarus has died, he's, he's, um, he's, the, the tomb has been closed. Jesus finally, finally arrives and, and Mary runs to Jesus. And what does she do? She falls at his feet, John tells us. My Lord, if only you'd have been here. And here in John 12, she's at the feet of Jesus, worshiping, learning from him. Mary gets it. Jesus is her Lord and her Savior. She gets it. And because she gets it, her only response to Jesus being Lord and Savior is to give him everything she has. part of this teaching series and the little video trailer it sort of try, tries to communicate this I think it does it well is that in the busyness of our lives we need we need to have some places of pause we need to have some times when we stop when we think when we reflect when we pray I wonder what you are like in your journey of faith with your pause with your stopping I know it's really hard. I have a very energetic three-year-old who wakes up early in the morning. I know some of you are parents and your, your children wake in the middle of the night. I know it's really hard. Some of you don't have children at home. Be thankful. But I wonder, whatever our pattern of life, whatever season of life you are in, whether you've not got children at home, whether you have got children at home, whether you're home alone, it's still easy, even if you live on your own, to bring in the busyness of life through phones, through TVs. Even reading can be a distraction from spending time at the feet of Jesus. Church, can I make a suggestion that if we want to grow in our faith, if we want to grow stronger in the Lord, we need to spend more time at the feet of Jesus. I wonder how you are doing at the feet of Jesus. I wonder if you're managing to take the time to do it. There's some great sort of devotional type books. Um, you know, um, what, uh, over the number of years, I've dipped into all kinds of things. I'm back in this book by Pete Scazzaro, Day by Day, brilliant book on um, spending time and being still, being quiet. Great little devotional book. You can get it on, on Amazon. There's a load more um, on the, on the bookstall, um, managed to get hold of an advanced copy of Pete Gregg's book, How to Pray. 
Um, this is full of nuggets. Um, I want to encourage you, if you're not yet coming or planning to come on the 2nd of May at 7 o'clock um, to come to the Pete Greg evening, do all that you can to get, get along to it because th- that's where you can get the advanced copies of the book. That's the first thing. And Pete just lives and breathes this stuff. Um, so I'd encourage you to get that. But again, as I've been reading that book, it's been reminding me of some of those you know, practices, some of those postures of being still, being in being present um, before the Lord. I do have a confession um, for you as a church leader. Um, This is a generalization warning. Um, Church leaders are really good at being busy. You may not think so. (laughs) Church leaders are really good at being busy. They're really good at talking the talk. They're really good at being at meetings. They're really good at being out in the evenings. They're really good. um, From my personal experiences, I've been a part of and new wine and I've networked with other church leaders they're really good at doing doing lots of church activity my confession is this and I say this as someone who's been a church leader for over 20 odd years that so often church leaders are tempted to be involved in kingdom ministry rather than being sat at the feet of the king But here's the thing, church leaders are not the only ones that are prone to busyness disease. We all are. And that's one of the tactics, one of the strategies of the enemy to keep us busy because we all know we can be doing more, don't we? And the challenge, I think, in this passage is how much time are we spending at the feet of Jesus? You know, if there's one thing the last two or three years in the life of this church has taught me is the importance of stopping, being still, being silent, and sitting at the feet of Jesus. I wonder how good you are at stopping, being still, being silent, sitting at the feet of Jesus. I asked at the very beginning, Which character in the story do you most identify with? Well, I wonder which one is it for you. You might pitch yourself as Lazarus. You know, you are so grateful for your new life in Jesus. You want to celebrate. You are so happy. Might be Simon, former religious leader still, um, a Pharisee, but perhaps you've learned to be less religious Maybe you're Martha, you're, you're in the background serving in the life of the church, serving your family all the time, you know, perhaps even not, wondering, is anybody noticing? Of course the Father does. But for Jesus, there's only one person whose actions are remembered wherever the gospel is to be preached. That's what Matthew and Mark say about this account, that Mary will be remembered wherever the gospel is preached. And the gospel is still being preached today. And here we are, remembering Mary. All the other characters, they're important, of course they are, and you might identify with some of those, and that's great. But what Jesus particularly wants us to focus on is Mary. Why is Mary remembered? Mary is remembered, I think, for her worship. What we see here in this account in John 12 is worship. 
And there are two things I just want to draw out as I close about this worship. Firstly, that Mary's worship is sacrificial. It's sacrificial. Nard or spike nard, it's, um, it's an essential oil. It's, u- it's a unique fragrance, I'm told. I've never smelt any, but in the first century, it was considered that when, whenever nard or spike nard was, was used, because it had to be shipped in from India, which is why it was so expensive, that, that, that whenever it was used, people considered that the best had been given. This was the best oil, the best of the best. And when Mary broke her alabaster jar of spikenard and anointed the feet of Jesus, she too was giving only the best to Jesus in devotion and worship. She poured it all out. I mean, John tells us that the whole lot, everything, and that's a lot of oil, a pint, whatever, that much, that's a lot of oil. You think of a pint bottle of milk. A pint of oil. That's a lot of oil to be poured out. Imagine the smell in the room. That wonderful fragrance of worship. It's possible that this jar of oil um, was Mary's from a dowry. Perhaps given to her, maybe, if she was married. But she wasn't. She was single, from what we read. Could have been a, an inheritance, Perhaps. But in other words, it's really important to notice that this is everything that Mary has. Everything that she had of value, everything that she had of worth, she poured out on Jesus. Her extravagant gift is a picture of sacrificial offering. And that same act of worship, Jesus expects of us. Imagine that. You know, we may quibble over our giving You know, is it 10% or is it more? For Mary, it's absolutely everything. She pours it all out over Jesus. Mary gives the very best worth to her Lord. And the same should be true of you and I. So here's my question. What does our worship of Jesus cost us? What does your worship of Jesus cost us, cost you? Have you ever had, ever had one of those moments when you've been in worship and the tears have been flowing? That's costly, isn't it? Had a number of those moments in my own life when kind of things weren't going as I perhaps thought they were. And yet I chose to worship through the tears. It's costly sometimes to worship Jesus. You know, when you haven't received your healing when your marriage is breaking up, when your finances are in a real state and you're thinking, how on earth am I going to manage and, and here I am being invited to give. If you need to reduce your giving to Trinity because of your financial states, that's okay because the Lord knows that. But what does our worship cost us? What does it cost you? So it's sacrificial to worship Jesus. The second thing that we... Th- I think we find here in John 12 is that Mary offers Jesus scandalous worship. She does not care. She does not care what people think, what people are watching and looking. She just gives him everything, just abandons everything she has of any value and just pours it out, gives it to Jesus. 
as an offering of worship. You know, we know, don't we, that that perfume was expensive, a year's salary. Today's money in the UK, that's probably earth. The average UK salary is probably worth around 28, 30,000 pounds. It's a lot of money. Imagine giving up your whole annual salary in worship to God. I um, read this book a little bit too late, or the chapter on, um, on this particular passage in John 12, a little bit late, so I wasn't able to glean some of the nuggets from it. Now to him, it's, and our friend Neil Bennett wrote it with Simon Ponsonby, but I did pick up something which I just love, this particular story that Simon tells uh, um, when, of, of some friends of his, that when they read this story of Mary giving everything to Jesus in worship, when she read it, Sorry, when they read it, a married couple, they decided that they were going to increase their mortgage by the equivalent of their annual salary. They did that and then gave it away in abandonment in worship to God. Don't know necessarily how they do that, but what Simon says is God honored them for it. You never outgive God. You never outgive God. I mean, that is extravagant. Crazy, scandalous perhaps. I wonder if you've ever thought though, where did Mary get something of such value? Where did she get something that is the equivalent of a year's salary in perfume? Well, in the first century, most women didn't earn a significant amount of money. That is if they actually earned anything at all because most paid employment would have been for the men. So where did Mary get the money for the perfume? As I said earlier, it could have been a dowry from marriage, but we know that Mary was single. Could have been some inheritance. But if you pull together the different gospel accounts of this same story, of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's more probable that Mary doesn't have respectable employment. Simon speaks of Mary, uh, speaks of Jesus, sorry, in his account in Luke of this same story. Speaking about Jesus, he says, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Mary is a sinner. Most likely, Mary is a prostitute. And here she is, with this extravagant, expensive perfume. How did she get it? Could have been a gift from a senior Roman official, possibly. It could have been that this was, this, she managed to get this perfume from her earnings in you know, giving of herself to men, possibly women, who knows, as a high-class prostitute. Perhaps even one of the tools of her trade. But Jesus doesn't care how she got it. What Jesus is interested in is how she gave it. He gave it all to her. This is an item of royal worth and she gave it to Jesus. How much do you think Jesus is worth? How much is Jesus worth to you? For Mary, it was everything she had. I mean, everything. I don't know how much you have. I wonder what it would look like if you went home and you cashed it all in 
and you just gave it to Jesus. I mean, it's scandalous, isn't it? Scandalous worship. Pedro Arup, I think that's how you pronounce his name, he's um, French. Um, in the early 20th century, he was alive. He left medical school and a promising career in medicine to join the Jesuits at the age of 20 in 1927. But in 1945, his medical training was put to use when he was one of the first responders, thinking he was going to be a spiritual responder, but actually he responded um, medically when the bomb dropped in Hiroshima in Japan. And during his experience, he wrote in a journal, in a book, he wrote about the love and the power of love to transform people. And he wrote this, nothing is more practical than finding God, than falling in love in a quite absolute final way. What you are in love with, what seizes your imagination will affect everything. It will decide what will get you out of bed in the morning, what you will do with your evenings, how you spend your weekends, what you read, whom you know, what breaks your heart, and what amazes you with joy and gratitude. Fall in love, stay in love, and it will decide everything. When Mary anointed Jesus with the alabaster jar of perfume, she wasn't preoccupied with what others thought. She was just focused on Jesus' love, on his forgiveness, on his mercy, on his grace to her. You know, her heart brimmed over with thankfulness. I wonder if that's true of you and I. She understood that her significance came from her relationship with Jesus, her Lord and her Savior. Mary was captivated by Jesus. And she gave him everything, sitting at his feet. Finish with this, A.W. Tozer has written extensively on holiness and worship and living um, the early life, writer, author, pastor in the early 20th century. He said this, we can take whatever path in worship we choose, but not all paths will end at the feet of Jesus. Is Jesus the object of our worship? the object of your affection as we sit, as we fall, as we kneel at his feet. Amen. Can I invite you to stand if you're able? I would invite you to be still for a moment. If you're new and you're visiting us, we always give space before we need to pick up children and we don't need to do that for another eight minutes. Just want to invite us to be still for a moment. You may want to close your eyes so that we can keep our focus on Jesus. I'm simply going to pray, Holy Spirit, come. If we're to live the life in sacrificial and scandalous worship as his followers, 
that might require some decisions and we need our minds to be transformed by the renewing of God's spirit and we need our hearts to be moved by the cross of Jesus. If you want to, I invite you to hold your hands out. I'm gonna pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the extravagant, scandalous, sacrificial worship we see in Mary. And we dare to ask, Father, would you help us to live lives of worship in the same way? Lives laid down, everything poured out for you. Heavenly Father, I ask that you'd send your Holy Spirit down on your church now. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Just encourage you to invite God's Holy Spirit to come to you. You might want to say in the quiet of your own heart that simple prayer, Holy Spirit, come. Father, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I need you. Just pour out your spirit in this place, Father. Come. Father, we need you. We need your presence. We need your spirit. Spirit. Increase it, Lord, we pray. Increase it, Lord. Come, Lord. All over this building, all over our hearts. Holy Spirit, come. Would you set us on fire again for you, Jesus? Would you move our hearts with your love? In a moment, I'm going to invite anyone that would like prayer to come to the front that we might pray. I want to encourage you, if you know that the Lord has particularly been speaking to you this morning, to come to the front, that we might pray and stand alongside you. So if you know that specifically for you, God's Spirit has been speaking to you, about your own walk with Jesus, can I just invite you to come to the front now? Just come. Just come. Just come. Thank you. Just come now. If you're upstairs, just come down the spiral staircases, whichever is easiest. I think for a number of people, you've been on that journey of worshiping Jesus through the tears. If that's you, if you know that you're someone that you are struggling to worship and, and, and to worship Jesus, even in a gathered place like this, you're worshiping through the tears, can I invite you to come to the front so that we might pray for you? Just come. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Just come. 
you're here this morning and you are tired spiritually, you're exhausted in the journey of faith, you know you need a touch of God's Holy Spirit, just come, come now. Just come. The Lord is here. His Spirit is with us. If you need a fresh touch of God, come. If we could have a couple more people to come and pray, a couple of chaps, that would be great. Holy Spirit, come. Have a couple of ladies to come and pray, a couple of chaps. I think, um, I think someone has damaged their right ankle. Anyone done damage to their right ankle in the last couple of weeks? Anyone done damage to their right ankle? Going once, going twice. Right ankle, no. Oh, yeah, oh. Dav, didn't see you, sorry. Can someone pray for Dav's right ankle? That would be great. You might, might have come forward for other stuff as well, but the Lord's here. Just pray for his ankle as well. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. I think, um, I think as well, I think um, there are a number of people who you are, um, and feel free um, not to come forward if you don't want to, but I would encourage you to do so if this is you, is that you are feeling so anxious, you are f- feeling so stressed with life at the moment. And if that's you, I want to invite you to come to the front so that we can pray for the peace and the presence of the Lord. So if you are someone that you are just feeling stressed and anxious about the busyness of life at the moment, can I invite you to come to the front now so that we can pray for you? Just come. It's good. Just come. Thank you. And to, just to say, if you're a visitor, um, we always have messy endings in the life of this church. We, we pray for the sick. We pray for those who are unwell. We pray for whatever it is that we sense the Holy Spirit speaking to us about. And, um, and so we, we seek to do this because we, we've learnt that it gives space for God's presence to work. So if you're new and you're visiting and you'd like prayer, then I want to invite you to come to the front. If you're here this morning and you are sick or unwell in any way, we'd love to pray for God's healing in your life. So if you're sick or unwell, I don't necessarily need to have called a specific ailment out, but if you are sick or unwell and you'd like prayer, we'd love to lavish God's goodness and his love on you in praying for you. Can I have a chat to come and pray? That'd be great. Did anybody, can I, if, if anyone came to Naturally Supernatural when Zoe and I did the teaching, could you just put your hand up? Anyone do, do the Naturally Could you come and pray? Is that all right? Great. Excellent. Can you join there with Nikki? That'd be great. Anyone else want to grow in the gift of praying for people? We're not sure. Jesus, we want to pray an outpouring of your spirit in this place and in our lives. Holy Spirit, pray that you would equip us and empower us for the life of worship. I encourage you, if you've not come forward for prayer, 
Maybe you want to pray for people where you are. Maybe you want to ask the Lord for a word of knowledge for someone, to bless someone today. Maybe share that with them over tea and coffee if you'd like. I'm going to pray a final prayer of blessing as we go. If you have little ones, you can go and pick them up. That's great. If you don't, you don't have to. Father, I want to thank you for your presence. Pray, Father, that you would pour out your spirit on us as we go. Pray, Father, that you would fill us to live lives laid down in worship for you. And as we go, pray, Lord, that you would move and you would work in us and through us. Amen.